Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 430 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview David Evans, a festive vector, and ask them about the design and development of their chill-out ocean-bound adventure game, Sail Forth. This is very much a chill-out adventure game, as I just described. You're just sailing across the sea, island hopping, gathering resources and material, building a fleet of ships, no less. And unlocking strange secrets of this very strange ocean-bound world. Good, very interesting little people. And I was really drawn to it when I first encountered it at a, a PAX. I'm not sure which one. They kind of blur. But I met David there, and he was very enthusiastic. I remember it was, a, it was the mini booth, which sadly no longer exists. But uh, there was this, what they called um, a mega mini booth, where they had um, lots of, sort of small booths littered around the indie section. But I was really drawn to it, really drawn to the, the, the idea of sailing, the way you tack with your sails and what have you. It's really, really well done. So it's an absolute pleasure to talk to David about Sail Forth. So let's listen to me do that from the relatively recent past. So please take it away, Chris. Hello, David. Hello. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, uh, I'm I'm David. Uh, I'm a game developer. Uh, Semi recently, an indie game developer. Um, I made a game called Sail Forth. It's uh, uh, it's amazing to be able to say that now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after a long time. So, how did you make your start making video games? Uh, well, uh, I think this might be kind of a common story amongst indies. I don't know, but I I got into it very young. I think like the main, the thing that I remember was my dad is a uh, self-taught programmer. He runs a, a music education software company. Um, well, he runs, it's just him. But uh, so he, I just remember one day I was very young, probably like maybe eight years old or something. And he showed me his computer and he's like, check this out. I, you know, I can, I can write a little bit of code and then I can make something happen on the screen. And he drew like some colored circles or something. And I remember asking him like, can I, can you make it? So there's just one circle. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And he does some stuff on the computer it happens. And I'm like, can you make it so that we can move the ball around with, with the arrow keys? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you can do that too. And like, that was seeing all that stuff happen, him just make the reality that he wanted to happen happen on the screen with that that really 
that really hooked me, I think, um, into the idea of a of this game development stuff or just programming in general. And so I was pretty interested in it from then on. And I like found all these various little game development tools back then, like some very simple ones. You could just click together some very simple, simple games. And I messed around with that stuff a lot. And throughout high school and everything, I was still interested in it. I picked up more and more kind of complex tools uh, as time went on. And then, yeah, I ended up going to the school DigiPen, uh, a college game development school, and then ended up at Microsoft after that. And now I'm here as a indie game developer. Seeing being able to make something happen that is cool when when I press a button or when someone else presses a button on the screen that that really like speaks to me. I think, uh, and that's that's kind of like the core of what I enjoy about it is like having something cool happen when I give input to the computer uh i think that's that's really the the core of it for me on a related on... note because <laughs> this this question is definitely related to what you just said yeah what do you believe are your biggest influences i guess i'll give a few there's one that's very early on when i was a kid i was playing this uh this old space trading game it's called escape velocity uh it's a I think it originally was a Mac classic game. Um, and it was like a 2D top-down space trading game, like a rags to riches sort of sort of thing. You start with a little crappy shuttle, uh, and then you you know, explore around the galaxy and and uh build up your build up all your resources, you get a big fleet of ships and you uh you can partake in various stories and stuff that that happen. Um or you can just like dominate the galaxy if you want uh you can do a bunch of different stuff and it was very moddable also was the thing so you could change out the sprites and stuff of the different spaceships and like add new factions or, or whatnot so part of my uh intro to game remote stuff was modifying that game um and i think later on i would say in terms of specific sail forth influences for for this particular game Things like Wind Waker were a big influence, and Breath of the Wild, like from a visual and tone standpoint. Um, but then also things like Assassin's Creed, the sailing in that, like I took some. That was one of the things that I wanted to, like I liked the boats in Assassin's Creed, but uh, some I didn't. They didn't quite behave the way that I like. Like I wanted a slightly different feel to the boats. Um, a little bit more weight to them, I guess, or like something about the boats in a lot of games, they feel like like cars on the ocean to me. Uh, and I wanted something that feels a little bit more boaty, uh, where you really feel like you have the momentum of, of a, being a boat on the ocean. Um, that was something that I wanted to do with the game. So yeah, uh, Zelda, Assassin's Creed. There's actually a little bit of that Escape Velocity game in Sailforth as well, kind of like in the... Uh, the way the progression works and the way the uh, world map kind of behaves. Um, and the whole concept of having these like escorts, this fleet with you is kind of like related to that game as well, I think. Well, we're, we're going to delve into that in the second half, but uh, let's hold off from that. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. A little bit. It did happen. Um, yeah, yeah. It's fine. At least it gives you like a 
bit of a prelude to what we're going to be talking about. Sure, but influences-wise, uh, overall, as game de- in game development, um, you know, that's that's kind of hard. Because uh, I was one of the... Maybe this is kind of related. Like, uh, while I was in school, you know, a lot of my friends, they all had, like, studios and stuff that they really wanted to work for, like, their favorite studio, favorite game studio, um, like, the dream studio to work for. And I never really had that. Uh, I never really had, like, a specific place in mind that I wanted to work or like a studio that I thought I would really get on with um I ended up at Microsoft just because it seemed like the place to be or it was a good offer and everything um so but I guess I would just say in terms of influences it's games where uh I like games that have really bright cheerful settings I like games that have worlds that are pleasant to be in uh, so like mainly escapism type of things. Um, not a huge fan of games where I just am stressed by being in the world. Uh, and I like games that have a lot of like, what would I say? Like really just a lot of juice basically in the, in how they react to your input. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Not an Elden Ring fan then. <laughs> Elden Ring, I played. I messed around with a little bit. There are some pretty, pretty areas in there, but yeah, it's it's a stressful and it's a stressful uh, experience, and yes. it's a constant. Yeah, I guess I guess I try to avoid stress in my gaming. I think is is what I is what I usually do. Yeah, that shines forth in self forth. That was a deliberate pun, by the way. It's all right. <laughs> as long as you own it, David. Stone it. Yes. Don't 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 shine. Yeah. Away. Yeah. You you can ask what the what the sequel to Sail Forth will be as well, and yeah, there you go. There's one ready for that. It just yeah, just writes itself totally. Yeah. <laughs> Next question: What video game developer do you admire most, and why? Ooh. Um. Can be a studio or a person or yeah. Matter. It's a tough one. I. Know. I do I have to give just one? Okay. okay. No, 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 no. Many guests give a whole wrath, a swathe of, of okay. people. Okay, okay, well, that's great. That's fine, that's fine. Then I got some for you. Uh, I think first I'm going to say, because I just had an amazing experience with it, I'll say that game company um, with Journey. When I That game really spoke to me. Uh, I had just a fantastic experience with it. Um, it's so beautiful. Uh, the music is amazing. Uh, it's just so like well designed in terms of you just always know where to go without without little quest markers or anything. It just feels very natural, um, and it's it's like a unique experience. Uh, so yeah, really really good. Uh, and then more recently, I've gotten into smaller games. I really enjoy the work from Sock Pop. Um, they're like if you're not familiar, they're just this pretty small cooperative uh, collective of, of uh, indie game developers who kind of have like a shared style. And it's a very simplistic, simple style that looks really good. Uh, and all their games are kind of exactly what I've been describing that I like, where it's like these small, very like colorful, happy little worlds uh, with lots of everything that you do has really great reactions to your input, like moving your character around. They have really bouncy little legs always or like kind of cartoony animations. 
and they're all these simple ideas. Like I think of them as as they're like a modern version of games that you would find on your com- on your family's computer uh, when you were a kid. Some weird little shareware game, uh, except they're like a fully fleshed out version of that, and with you know modern accoutrement and stuff like that, like modern design stuff in them. So they're just great. And then another one recently I've really enjoyed is uh, Willem. I might butcher his name. Willem Nilum. Willem. Willem Neil. Basically, the guy who's behind Landfall Games. Uh, his his stuff on like totally accurate battlegrounds and like that whole uh, slew of games that they do. I think are really great. I like that style a lot. It it just works really well. I think. Wonderful names to them too. Yes. <laughs> no ambiguity there. Right. Well, last question of the first half is this. What are you playing right now, David? Right now I've been I've fallen back deep into the Valheim rabbit hole. because uh, they they've had a, a a new update. And um that game is another example of like very beautiful environments. It's a beautiful world. There are some areas that are like a little creepy and and uh, gross but um it still feels like a like a nice world to be in and i think that that game um you know it's survival crafting multiplayer thing but something about this one in particular has really stuck with me i think that the building system in it is amazing um the fact that they have this structural integrity mechanic um that kind of forces you to constrain the way you build um it makes me excited about being creative in that in the building in that game whereas most survival games like i'll usually just make a little crappy box for a house uh but with this game i don't know why i get motivated to make cool structures and stuff like that i think it's because it feels like it's a challenge to beat the structural integrity system like if i can make something cool that stands up uh Compared to like Minecraft, where you you can just do anything, you know, you can just have floating blocks. Um, but in Valheim, you know, you have to actually support things and think about it, and that makes it a challenge to get the the cool house that you want. Um, and that works for me. That that gets me into it. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that, playing that with my friends. Um, yeah, that's actually that's a category. Just to add to that previous question, that's a category of games that I get on with really well is um multiplayer session based things that you just play with your friends not like matchmaking but like just something where you uh a space where you can hang out with your friends and do fun stuff that's that's what valheim does for me so that's the end of the first half well done you made it so (laughs) let's move on to the second half of the show where we shall be delving deep into cell forth
So David, can you tell us, what is Sailforth? Uh, let's see. See if I can remember. Uh, it's a it's a sailing adventure. It's a chill sailing adventure game. I guess that's that's usually kind of the the very like the three word pitch um, forward. Uh, and it's yeah, it's a exploration adventure game. Um, you start out as just a little guy in a tiny boat, and you don't really know what's going on. Um, you don't know where you came from or where you were, uh, and you just kind of slowly start to uncover what this world is and what's going on in the world and who's in it, and you start to learn that there's some kind of uh, corruption eating at the world, uh, and you don't exactly know what it is, but you you begin to learn at the farther you go, and uh, a big kind of actually pretty big story kind of unravels as you uh as you as you uh sail forth <laughs> yeah there you yeah, go you can't dodge that name david yeah. embrace it embrace it sir <laughs> <clears throat> yeah i think you've covered it we'll probably expand a little bit more now as we delve sure. into its mechanics at least yeah. not mechanics but the aspects of it i found interesting so We've already hinted at this, but the underlying tone, more like an over, actually it's more than underlying, it's right in your face, but the underlying tone of Selforth is a sense of exploration and discovery. Because that's the reason why you're exploring. Yeah. Unlike, say, Sea of Thieves, where you're trying to run away from being attacked by every other person on the map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After all, it is Sea of Thieves, not Sea of Friends. Now, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> How has this informed your overall design of Sailforth? The uh, focus on exploration. Mm. Um, well, uh, one of the things that I wanted to have in it is just for people to always be visually interested in the game and i think that because it's one of the issues i think that can happen in a game like sea of thieves is you uh you have to travel long distances um and one of the ways that they combat that is like it, everything looks very pretty all the time and so you're happy you're content to you know do a bit of travel um for a bit because you're looking at the very pretty water and and the sky and everything uh, so that's kind of one of the things that influenced the design is that I felt like the whole time you're sailing, it's kind of intended to be relaxing while you're discovering. So you need to be just really enjoying the fact that you're sailing um, because there might be little stretches where you're exploring off to the north in a direction that you don't really know what's going to be out there. Uh, so you better be enjoying that experience while you're doing it. So, you know, that influenced me to spend a lot of time making the water looked really good having a uh the boat the way that it reacts to the waves and the wind and everything i put a lot of effort into making that feel nice um like the wind billows the sails in a nice way and the boat tilts over with the wind and things like that um also it kind of influenced the design of the little locations that you visit um at one point i'd experimented with this having it be fully kind of open world, quote unquote, like 
uh, one big world basically instead of these little locations. Um, and the problem that I was running into is just that it's really big and you have to sail long distance. Uh, and without some kind of like fast travel mechanic or something along those lines, especially because of the fact that I had this side goal, this uh, separate goal of having realistic sailing where sometimes the wind's not going to be in your favor and you're going to have to tack up wind or change your course slightly to get where you want to go. It just meant that I couldn't really force you to have to sail a really long distance um, across a whole world. So I went with this kind of more modular, um, small little, like not really instanced, but they're locations that are where there's you're in one location at a time and you can use the world map to travel between them. And so it kind of limits... It puts a limit on how far you ever have to sail uh, manually, so to speak. Like maybe at most you might sail a few minutes in one direction instead of, you know, 10 minutes to get somewhere. Uh, so I think that was a big influence. That affected the fact that I wanted you to have this constant feeling of discovery and exploration. Um, that influenced me putting the world on these little, little, smaller things that are easier to explore in like bite-sized chunks. Um, yeah. One other thing that I'll add to that uh, is just that uh, I also am a fan of kind of short play sessions. I don't, I don't like, I can't really sit down and play a game for eight hours straight, you know? Um, and so th these bite-sized chunks of levels, what I like about it is that you can pop in, go to an area, Check it out. Maybe you maybe it takes you 20, 30 minutes to kind of see a bunch of the stuff that's in there. And then that could be a play session. You know, you can be like, all right, well, I've explored this area. Maybe I'll come back a bit later. Uh, and I like that kind of bite-size accessibility that it has. That's exactly how I played it. I would go, I'll go to the island, drop that off to that person, grab that, then I'll then I'll call it there for now and I'll come back to it later. Yeah, can yeah. do that. Can do that. Well done on that. So yeah, that's why I asked. <laughs> Great, I'm glad that works. Next question: In Sailforth, the player can command a fleet, as you mentioned earlier, of vessels rather than just one. Yes. How did this come about? Um. Okay. Well, so I'd kind of prematurely mentioned this a bit earlier. Uh, I had this this um this fleet mechanic early on, I guess this kind of gets into the history of how the game got made, uh, which is a bit unconventional maybe uh, because I started out making this prototype of a sailing game and I had no intentions. I had no scheme or, or vision of what the game was going to end up as. Um, and so one of the things that I put in just kind of like for fun was it'd be cool if you could have a fleet. Uh, and like I said, that was partially, I think, influenced by the game Escape Velocity. You have a, a, an escort, a fleet of escorts um, in that game. And it works similarly to the way it works now in Sailforth. Um, so it, just, it seemed like a fun thing to have. Uh, I liked the idea of sailing in a fleet, like having AIs coming with you. And one of the things that I also liked about it is that... Um, it means that when you get the choice to get a new boat or to buy a boat, you're not giving up necessarily the old one. Um, and so I think 
I wanted people to feel free to explore sailing the different boats that are in the game without necessarily giving up one that they really like. Uh, and all the boats, because this game is kind of a physically simulated game, they all have a kind of different feel to them when you're when you're sailing them. There's more than just kind of stat differences between them. The the physics of each boat it works a little differently. Um, so I wanted people to be able to uh, experience all the different boats that there are to sail without feeling like they have to give up their favorite boat or something. Um, so that's kind of the reasoning behind the fleet. And why you can, why you can, uh, why I suffered through <laughs> making the design of the game work with this fleet mechanic because it was, it is a bit of a challenge. It's kind of an unconventional thing to let the player just have multiple of themselves uh, throughout this adventure game and be able to swap their their uh, control all over the place unexpectedly. Yeah, it's it's hard to design for. Um, it created a lot of challenges. I think it's fun too in, in battles you can you can get into really fun situations where you added this like quick swap quick swap mechanic where you can just press a key and cycle between without any menus. And so you can be engaged in one part of a battle with one boat and then you see one of your escorts, one of your fleet somewhere else uh nearby, and they have got some kind of good shot that that, that they're about to have lined up on your targets, so and you quickly swap over to them fire their guns and swap back. So there's like fun stuff you can do with the fleet in that way. Um, it also means that you can really quickly explore these areas, which is another way of um, reducing travel times because you might have a fleet ship on one half of the map and you're somewhere else and you want to go talk to an NPC. So you, it, rather than just sail your one boat all the way over there, you could just swap over to the boat that's closest and that's you for all intents and purposes. It doesn't matter which boat you're using currently. In that regard, this leads neatly on to the next question: the concepts of interacting with the world of Sailforth. I've gradually introduced to the player. I was going to use the phrase onboarding, but I think that's a bit on the nose, if you get my meaning. But <laughs> how did you design this aspect of Sailforth, and what methods did you use to? Explore with this to to to, you know, to to achieve this sense of um, well, they're still discovering things. It's not overwhelming the player too much. Yeah, um, this was also challenging, uh, of course. Um, I think I would probably include into this onboarding the just the learning how to sail uh, part of that. Because I think that that goes in hand with not feeling overwhelmed with with the with what the world is presenting you, um, and that's kind of the first thing that I felt like had to be taught is you have to understand how to move, uh, and that was just what I ended up doing is simplifying the sailing a lot at the beginning, um, and so that's why you start out with this tiny little raft. It's only got a single little square sail, um, and a square sail. You know, there isn't that much uh, adjustment of it you need to do. There's just the one of them. All you care about is that you're going downwind because the wind is just pushing you with the square sail. Um, and in addition to that, in that first little area, I even just have the wind always blowing in the direction of where you need to go for the next little task. Um, a lot of people probably don't even notice, but it just that's what's happening. 
uh, and that way you just don't even have to really think about it and you can focus on getting used to steering and like kind of getting to grips with what this world is. And then pretty early on, then I give you another boat. And this one doesn't just have a square sail. It's got a four and a half or just a four sail. Uh, so this one actually can be, uh, what do you call it? Adjusted um, to catch the wind better. Um, and so I have some tutorials that kick in that start to teach you about sail trim. Um, and around that same time, I also give you the first uh, map fragment, which shows you that there's other places that you can visit. And so I'm trying to basically just give you very small bits of the world at a time. Um, I introduce one more location for you to go visit uh, at the end of that tutorial. And that's kind of where it starts to open up and you start to have more freedom. Um, and that's where kind of this contextual tutorial system takes over and just kind of waits because the challenge here is it's not an entirely linear game. So I don't know exactly when you'll do things. So I have to have these tutorials that pop up that try to pop up when you do the relevant thing. Um, like that notice like, oh, you just ran into a sandbar. Let's try and teach you how to back up. Uh, or looks like you have some equipment, like you could equip this now. Um, and a lot of stuff around trying to encourage people to explore freely, because sometimes you don't necessarily have a marker on your map telling you where to go. Um, and you're just meant to sail around a bit, like try going in a direction and see if you come across something. Um, and so that part is mostly reinforced via dialogue. Like the characters try to be like, oh, what would maybe something's over there uh, and try to like encourage you to uh, check that stuff out for yourself. Yeah. No, I think you've done a wonderful job of it. It's like you say, the challenge of the open world made it extra difficult to achieve this without actually railroading the player, which is the last thing you want to do in a game like Sales Sell Forth. So Yeah. Yeah. And uh one other thing is these those map fragments that I mentioned, I think those do a really good job, I think, of kind of leading exploration. Um, because they one you'll just come across them through normal play. You can you can't really avoid them. Um you'll just Every now and then you'll come across a map fragment and it'll reveal a location on your world map for you. Your characters will be like, oh, that looks like, you know, we just learned about this place. And that's, it's not a like pending task for you to do so much as it's just letting you know, like, hey, there's some stuff here. You could check it out if you want. Um, and it both, it gives you a place that you could go that you know it exists and it kind of teaches you, oh, there's there's places in this world that are just like, haven't been uncovered yet. And so the goal of that is to kind of give you the idea that, oh, maybe somewhere in that purple mist on the map, there's a place that I haven't seen yet. Maybe I can just find it. Uh, yeah, so I use those a lot to kind of guide, lead the player through through the world. Last question. I know. Here we are. Oh, almost there. You're almost there. <laughs> so forth. Both a reasonably robust, actually quite robust, wind physics engine. What concessions have you had to make to ensure it doesn't get in the way of the player's experience? Yeah, this was probably 
one of the most iterated on things of the game. Uh, this whole sailing physics system has gone through a huge amount of changes. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's it's always just it's the struggle of balance between uh, the realism of it and how good it feels and how accessible it is to someone just picking it up and being able to figure out how to move in the direction that they want to move. Uh, and so probably one of the biggest things was the the UI indicator for what you're even doing. Um, because what you are doing is you're at, at the physics level is you're lengthening and shortening the rope that's attached to the sail. Uh, and that's kind of a hard thing to visualize in UI uh, because what that means is when the rope is fully slack, the sail can be whipped around in either direction. It can fully extend to the left or to the right of your boat, depending on how the wind pushes it. And then when the rope is taut, the sail is going to be pulled in all the way. It'll be uh, in line with the, with the, uh, I don't know what to call it, with the uh, direction of your boat. Um, so I ended up with this indicator on the screen that kind of has this red and green gradient that kind of show you like, okay, you've got it in a good spot, or at least the best spot that it could be for, for where you're currently heading. Um, and on top of that, there's the compass, which shows you the wind direction and another gradient thingy of showing you for your boat, uh, which it differs per boat because boats have different sail rigs. But for this boat, uh, kind of this quadrant of wind that you're heading into gets this rating of how good of wind it is. And this quadrant has this rating that's that's uh, indicated around the compass. Uh, and then there's tutorials to try and explain the concept of what sail trimming does that's kind of effective but you know it's hard no one wants to read these things so that that kind of you kind of have to rely mostly on just what the what visuals are on screen at the time um in terms of concessions to the physics i would say that the main things that i've done to tone it back are just kind of tweaking the numbers a little bit to be a little bit more advantageous. Uh, I call the physics in the game stylized physics. Uh, they're physics, and they're based on the real equations for approximating lift and drag on a sail uh, based on an angle of attack of the wind. But uh, I kind of like tweaked the curves a little bit so that you get a little bit more leeway, you get a little bit extra wind when you're going upwind. Um, just to make it possible to uh, make it less likely that you just come to a full stop um, by accident, because there's so many things to be thinking about in this game, especially when you're in the middle of combat. Uh, if you're trying to steer the boat, adjust the sails, and aim your cannons, and avoid shots from the person shooting at you, uh, there's just a whole lot going on there. And so the more that I can kind of make the sailing part uh, simple, though without being too simple, because that is a big part of the game, uh, the better. One other thing that I did um, that I've just remembered about is I've added a uh, auto-sail option. Is just kind of, you could look at it as an accessibility option or just like a gameplay option. Um, if you're not that interested in this whole kind of sail management um, mechanic, you can have it just automatically adjust to be the best that it can be 
like you can still sail upwind and it's there isn't going to be a huge amount that it can do to make your sails work in that scenario but uh you can at least make it so that you know that your sails will always be adjusted more or less to the best that they could be uh without you having to think about it and that's i don't know actually how many people use that but uh i imagine some people do and that would help i like using the trimming of the sail in in combat because it gives it's, me great gives me great control of speed yeah. yeah and you can do cool things with it and there's things you can do with it if you're using the auto sail for example that you would there's things that that will not do that you'd be able to do manually um that feel pretty good because there's times where for example you're sailing um let's say downwind and the your sails are kind of stuck on the wrong side of the boat um they're catching wind but they're not catching the best one that they could be uh even though and this is one of those things that's just so hard to explain like even though your meter for your trim is in the green because the rope is exactly as loose as it should be to catch the wind right. The sail hasn't, the sail is in the wrong spot because you haven't moved it. And so sometimes you have to pull in the sail a little bit, then let it out again so that the sail will flip over to the right side of the boat. And then you'll catch the wind even better. Uh, and that, it feels really good when you make those little maneuvers because it's like, oh, I'm, you know, you're adjusting the rigging on your boat to, to catch the wind better. And that, that feels cool, I think. Um, but it's one of those things that is just, I don't know how to indicate that or like indicate that that needs to be done uh, without kind of compromising how I want the the sailing to work and without putting, I don't want to have a lot of stuff on the screen, you know, I'm trying to have as little on the screen as possible. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it is very interesting. And uh, I think what I found is, just it's counterintuitive to do that. Like, well, it's in the green. Why isn't it moving? Like, well, yeah, you've got to give it a, a nudge. You've got to like let it snap through to the place it needs to be. It's and, yeah, uh, it's uh, you pick it up eventually, but it's like you learn from your uh, mistakes, so to speak. Yeah, learn, it's, learn from, it's, like, it's not moving, but it's in the green. Yeah, why is that? It's cool that <laughs> I'm. I'm happy that you that you picked up on that. That's that's cool. <laughs> so, so forth. Which is developed by uh, Festive Vector. It's a great name. Where did he come oh, up with the name? That's a. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Re- it's one of those things that just kind of popped in my. I have the same struggle with Sailforth. For a long time, like probably the first three years of that game's development, it was boat game. Uh, and I had no idea what to call it other than just boat game. And I was half ready to just release it as boat game because I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, and then. I decided eventually I was like, this is just going to be too, it's going to be horrible to search for this name and it's going to suck. And, you know, it's one of those things where you just go to sleep thinking about what's it, what can be called. And sometimes the words just had a soup of possible word combinations in my head and sail forth popped out. And it's kind of the same thing with Festive Vector. Like, I was trying to think of a name that just, I just needed it to release something under. Uh, I didn't want to just use my, my previous online handle because it sounded too much like an individual. I wanted something that could conceivably be a group of people. Um, and yeah, I like somehow the, those two words popped in my head. I was trying to think of some mathy words and some fun words. And um, I like the, 
kind of retroactively because it, it, it wasn't this deep when I thought of it, but retroactively, what I like about it is that festive is, you know, fun and vector is math, mathy. And it's like this, I think that that's kind of a uh, driving theme of what I like to do is this combination of fun with, with like mathematical stuff, like the mathematical stuff in this case, like the sailing physics, this kind of um, technical stuff that's going on in this game. And, but it's also bright and cheery and fun. Uh, that's the festive part. So yeah, yeah. That's I like it. Good. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, it's published by the Quantum Astrophysicist Guild. Yes. And is available on. Mouthful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, they've tried to make it an acronym, but I refuse to accept. No, you, you are what I've just said. And, Quite the good uh, point. Yeah. yeah, it's very it's the astrophysicist. That's the one that's hard. That's the tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's available on what platforms? Uh, on pretty much everything. It's on Steam, Epic Store, uh, Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S. Uh, yes, the whole the whole shebang. All of the things, everyone. All of them. All the yeah. current things. That is, I mean. And all future things. Yeah, yeah, all future things. <laughs> no. Ported forever. <laughs> Heavens. Okay. So, um, David, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It's been great to be here. Thank you. Yes, it's a long time coming. We've been following Sale 4 for some time. And here we are. We've finally you've done it. And here we are talking about it in the past tense. Because it's, you know, it's, I know. There it is. Yeah, you, it's, you did it's it. weird. So, hasn't um, quite sunk in for me. I know. Hey, sorry. <laughs> it's just too many, too many puns. It's, it's impossible. I, it's built into me now. I <laughs> can't not do it. <laughs> like you said earlier, embrace it. And yeah. um, you're more than welcome to come back to talk about whatever you're currently thinking about in your head. We will be here. Sure. I'd uh, love to. And, but in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. 